Will be glory when I walk with him on heaven's golden shore, never from his side again to stray. Twill be glory, wondrous glory, with the Savior evermore, everlasting glory all the way. It is glory just to walk with him. It is glory just to walk with him. He will guide my steps aright through the veil and o'er the height. It is glory just to walk with Him. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you once again this day and ask that you would take this time that we've dedicated to your worship and Lord, help us to understand that that's something we cannot accomplish without your working in our hearts and our lives. We pray that you would help us as we sing these songs, that we would remember that we are the performers today and you are the audience, and that we would sing to your honor and glory. Lord, let us think and let the messages of these songs that have been chosen, what a glory it is to just walk with the Lord each and every day that you have given us to live. We ask that you would be with the preaching. Lord, that I would be able to present your words simply and clearly. And Lord, the time of invitation, that there would be a simple understanding of the truths of your word and a simple submission to those truths. Lord, we pray for the offering. We pray that when we leave here, we would truly be able to take the name of Jesus with us and the message of Jesus to the world in which we live. We ask that you would be the center of all that's said and done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please remain standing. Okay, now let's turn to 472. 472. Follow on 472. Down in the valley with my Savior I would go Where the flowers are blooming and the sweet waters flow Everywhere he leads me I would follow, follow on Walking in his footsteps till the crown be won Follow, follow, I will follow Jesus Anywhere, everywhere I would follow on Follow, follow, I would follow Jesus. Everywhere he leads me, I would follow on. Down in the valley with my Savior I would go. Where the storms are sweeping and the dark waters flow. With his hand to lead me, I will never, never fear. Danger cannot fright me if my Lord is near. Follow, follow, I will follow Jesus Anywhere, everywhere, I would follow on Follow, follow, I would follow Jesus Everywhere he leads me, I would follow on Down in the valley or upon the mountain steep Close beside my Savior would my soul ever keep he will lead me safely in the path that he has trod. 
up to where they gather on the hills of God. Follow, follow, I will follow Jesus. Anywhere, everywhere, I would follow on. Follow, follow, I would follow Jesus. Everywhere he leads me, I would follow on. Amen. And let's do one more song, 349, 45, 345. Grace greater than our sin. Amen. 345. Marvelous grace of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, there where the blood of the Lamb was spilled, grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within, grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin, sin and despair like the sea waves cold, threaten the soul with infinite loss, grace that is greater, yes, grace untold, points to the refuge, the mighty cross, grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within, grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin, dark is the stain that we cannot hide, what can avail to wash it away? Look, there is flowing a crimson tide, whiter than snow you may be today. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin on that last marvelous, infinite, matchless grace, freely bestowed on all who believe, you that are longing to see his face. Will you this moment his grace receive? Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. Amen, and you may be seated.
I don't know how many of you noticed the picture on the bulletin this morning, um, but uh, this is a bulletin I've actually been saving for quite a while. I said, I know there's going to be a Sunday that we're going to want to use that. And, um, and so we put that in there. And this morning I'd like to preach on the three greatest words in all of history. It is finished. Amen. Do you believe that this morning? And let's turn to John chapter 19, verse 30. And uh, fasten your seatbelts because this message might not be going where you think it is. But uh, there are actually two places in the scripture where those three words are used uh, in that order. It is finished. And we're going to be looking at both of those and then trying to draw the contrast that I, I believe the Lord wants to be drawn. The first passage that, that we think about, that I think about when I hear that phrase, it is finished, is Jesus as he was hanging in the on the cross in the darkness that had fallen over the face of the earth. He cried out, I thirst. No one really understood what was going on in verse 30. When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. And we read the other accounts. He said, Father, into thy hand I commend my spirit. The phrase, it is finished, in the Hebrew would just be one word. And yet, one of the most puzzling and frustrating things that I know of is as I talk to people who are part of religion, they're still trying to finish the things that Jesus had already said was finished. Now, what do these words mean when, it, when Jesus said, it is finished? Was he just saying, I'm ready to die, I'm going to die, because he did in just a few moments. He gave up the ghost, he died, he willingly laid down his life. John chapter 10 and verse 17 tells us that Jesus was not a martyr, he was not a victim of circumstances, that he willingly laid down his life according to the commandments that God had given him. So when he said it is finished, does it just mean that he was going to die? That he was finished living? No. It was much more significant than that. It was the work of salvation. That's what Jesus came to do. You see, there had to be a payment for sin. Jesus, who had never sinned, made that payment for sin with his own life. And when that work was done, he said, it is finished. You go through the Old Testament and, and people often like to say, well, uh, you know, you, you Baptists, you're, you're New Testament Christians. No, we're Bible Christians. We believe in the whole Bible. All through the Old Testament, you see this idea, you see this practice of a sacrifice that was offered to God 
We go the whole way back to the Garden of, uh, not the Garden of Eden. We go back to, well, go back to the Garden of Eden when they were kicked out. God killed the animals to make coverings for them. Just a few years later, when Abel and Cain brought their offerings, God respected Abel's offering because it was the blood of one of his lambs. He refused to accept Cain's offering because it was not acceptable. It was not the life of the innocent. And Jesus himself fulfilled all of the sacrifices under the Old Testament law and all through history. See, the Old Testament word is the word atonement. The word atonement, if we look and we understand what it means, it means the rolling back. How many of you have ever gotten one of those letters through the mail? No need to pay your credit card balance this month. We'll just roll it back and you can pay it next month. But interest will accrue. Well, that's the idea of atonement. You're not in default if you don't make a payment when the credit card company tells you you don't have to make a payment. Well, what God did was he said, listen, until things work out in my scheme, in my plan of time... I'm going to allow you to push back that penalty, that price paid, by offering the blood of an innocent animal. And you can read through. In fact, on Sunday nights, we're going through the Old Testament tabernacle and and the different uh, aspects of that and all the furniture and how that all worked together. And in God painting a picture, literally with physical activities and ceremonies that he regulated according to his law, each one of those pointed to the picture, to the work, I'm sorry, not the picture, the work of Jesus Christ. When Jesus said it was finished on the cross, he was talking about the work of salvation. He was talking about the work of the sacrifice of sins. The book of Hebrews tells us that there was one sacrifice, one time, for all sins forever. When Jesus said, it is finished, he was talking about the work of the sacrifice. We have a place in our church, and I can't wait until... We get all of this renovation finished, but one of the things that we're going to be doing is we're going to put a new altar in up at the front. Now, the altar in a Baptist church is a place for a living sacrifice. Romans chapter 12, that we present our bodies a living sacrifice. The altar in the Old Testament was a place of a dying sacrifice. A blood sacrifice. Why don't we do that today? Because Jesus said, it is finished. I love to teach on the Old Testament tabernacle and all the pictures, but I am so glad I'm not a priest in the Old Testament tabernacle and in the temple. Because your whole ministry was about death. You cut, you killed the animals, you gathered the blood, poured it out at the altar, 
You had to disembowel the animals, and certain parts were meant to be burnt on the altar, and other things were done here and there, and that was your work. Today, it is finished. There's no more sacrifice, no need for sacrifice, because Jesus finished that work. Amen? One more idea here. One more thing that Jesus intended when he said it is finished. We have many references and we're not, we'll, we'll not take time this morning to go through all of these references. But salvation is not the only work that God wants to do in your life. Salvation is not the ending of God's work. You go to most churches and most religions, and, and again, I've boiled this down many times, and I hope you don't mind hearing it repeated. We need to get it ingrained in our soul. But most religion says, you come, you do what we say, and maybe someday you'll be good enough to get saved or to go to heaven. Then what did Jesus finish on the cross if that were true? Salvation is not the end goal of the Christian or of God in the life of anyone who believed. It's the beginning. That's why Jesus, when he was talking to Nicodemus in chapter 3, he didn't say, Nicodemus, when you do enough good things, God will finally accept you, and that is what God's interested in. No, he said, ye must be born again. You've got to start all over. Everything that you've done up to this point doesn't count because it won't pay for sin. Only the sacrifice pays for sin. Jesus finished that sacrifice on the cross. The work that we're talking about is the work of sanctification. The work of learning to live for Jesus Christ. You see... True religion is not just getting into heaven by the skin of your teeth. It's enjoying the journey from now till then. It is using the life that God has given us to prepare us to live with God in heaven in eternity forever. And that work is a work that you cannot do yourself. How many of you have ever had fallen prey to some vice or habit and you just fought and fought and fought and just tried to get that thing out of your life and it just keeps coming back? Now, you don't have to raise your hands on that. Most of us have been there one time or another in our life. When Jesus said it is finished, he is referring to all of the work of sin that it does not need to have dominion over you. How many people are held prisoners by sin today? The first thing they do when they wake up is they have to satisfy that habit, that desire in their life, whether it be for alcohol, whether it be for illegal drugs of some kind, or legal drugs taken illegally, or pornography, or probably the most powerful of all, just another dollar. How many people 
wake up and everything they have is controlled by that desire. When Jesus said it is finished on the cross, he was destroying the power of sin so that we could be free from that to live for him. It is the work of salvation was finished. The, sac the work of the sacrifice, all of the laws, all of those lambs and rams and bullocks and goats that were offered and doves that were offered in the temple and lay before that the tabernacle was all finished when Jesus uttered those three words from the cross. If you're going to have righteousness today, I want to challenge you. It's not something you can get from yourself. We had a most interesting visitor yesterday. He said he was a member of the Church of the Divine Man. And so we braced ourselves, and it was a good thing, too. You see, there's nothing in you that is divine. There is nothing in you that God wants to use. That's why he calls it a new birth. Because it's a life that he wants to give you. We often walk through this life, and, and I've heard preachers preach in this direction, and it frightens me. They act like that as you're walking through life, that if you just take the least little trip or the least little look in the wrong direction, somehow the devil is going to be able to get you and destroy you. I, I want to challenge you today. The devil cannot get you and destroy you unless you give him permission and license to do so in your life. It is hard to destroy your life that God has given you as a Christian. But let me tell you, there's a lot of people to get done. When Jesus said it is finished on the cross... He's saying, you don't have to walk in fear. You walk in love. You don't have to worry that the least little mistake that you make is going to separate you from the love of God because he paid for it on the cross. There is no sin that you have ever sinned that shocked God. I, I remember meeting every once in a while, I'll meet someone... Uh, preacher, you don't want me to come to your church. The building would fall down on you. I said, give me a break. Who do you think you are? Do you think you're a worse sinner than most of the people that come to my church? Come on, get a life. We know what sin is because we're human beings. But we know what the Savior is because he said it is finished. And we don't have to live in fear of sin and destruction and the snares of the devil. You want to fight the devil, get your nose in this book. Amen? You want to walk with Jesus, walk in his love. Live 
in the light and the truth of those three great words, it is finished. Amen? That's what Jesus meant when he said it on the cross. And if it is finished, that means there's nothing left for you to do. And we're going to touch on that again in just a few minutes. But I want to take us down another pathway this morning. In fact, heading in the exact opposite direction. It is strange that these three words, this phrase is used as Jesus hung on the cross, signifying the end of the work of the sacrifice, the end of the work that is necessary for the salvation of mankind, the end of the work that is necessary for the sanctification or the holy living of those that believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It is finished. Now let's turn to James chapter 1. Just after the book of Hebrews, James chapter 1, and we'll start reading in verse 13. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin when... Read the next three words with me. It is finished. Bringeth forth death. Why did Jesus die on the cross? Because the work of sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Isn't it amazing? You just take a little phrase like that and follow it through the Bible, where it's going to take you. You see, there is a work of sin going on. The first thing it does, let's go back to verse 13. Let my own man say, when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. That's right, the devil made me do it. No, the devil didn't make you do anything. The devil is not to blame. And this is one of our great problems in our society today. The writer here, James, gives us the truth. It says, God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. God is not tempted to do evil. It does not affect him like it does you and I. I mean, when you walk past the bakery, that smell comes out. And you are tempted to do things that you ought not do. I am going to resist. I am not going to go in there and get those fresh baked cannolis. I'll tell you the simplest way to resist is don't have any cash in your pocket. That's the only thing I found works for me. Because they don't take credit card at the bakeries, and if they do, I'm in big trouble. But uh, why are we tempted? It says, 
Every man is tempted. Not just you, not just me. Every living human being. When he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. By the way, what are you drawn away from to be enticed by your own lust? How many of you have ever felt guilty just at the thought of doing something wrong? Of that third cannoli. I mean, just... That is just downright sinful. Only one at a time, right? But the simple truth of the matter is, if we will understand this thing, there is a work that sin does in drawing you away from God so that you can be enticed to engage in activities that are diametrically opposed to God and His holiness. And unless you're willing to allow yourself to be drawn away from God, you're not going to have the problems with temptation. Every time you are tempted, it says you're drawn away of your own lust. Here's the problem of society. Personal responsibility. I am so sick of hearing politicians saying, I'll take personal responsibility for what I've done. And then they continue doing everything that they did before. Give me a break. If you're going to take personal responsibility, go sign yourself in at the state penitentiary where you belong and stay there. Right? When is the last time you ever had somebody who actually did something wrong say, I owe a debt to society, the, the, the prison sentence. You know, they won't let you in the prison anyway. You say, but I did wrong. I want to go in and pay my debt. That's the problem with our society is you can get out of just about anything if you want to. You see, there is a work. And that work that sin does is to draw you away from God. How many of you have ever heard? Follow your heart. It will always take you in the right direction. Let me tell you something. If you follow your heart, you're going to end up eternally separated from God in a place called hell. Because the desires of your heart is where that lust comes from that draws you away from God. God does not intend for you to rewrite your desires over his scripture. God wants to write his desires over yours so that you will be free from the lust that brings forth death to serve the God that finished the work on the cross. Do you see the contrast between the two? I hope you do today. You see, then lust when it hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. How many of you are old enough to see this pattern having developed in your life in one area or another? First, you want something. 
You get drawn away from God, and by the way, you get drawn away from everything that is good. But that lust isn't just going to remain an aberrant desire in your soul. It's going to produce something. It's going to conceive. It's going to hatch. And what it's going to bring forth is sin. And that sin is going to begin to do the work that only sin can do. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. You can pick any sin you want. It will lead you to death. You say, but Pastor Mike, the, the only thing I have a little bit of problem with is I just hate the speed limits. They're just ridiculously low. Well, wait a minute. How many people die every year on the roads in the, uh, of this nation? I, I believe the last time I heard there are more people that die every year on the highways of this nation than did in the Vietnam War. That should be a terrifying statistic. The last number I heard was 50,000 dead every year because of highway accidents in the United States. 25,000 died in the Vietnam War. Now, my figures could need a little fixing up, but I don't think they're that far off. Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Now, let's go to one other passage, Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. Verse 3. For we which have believed do enter into rest, as he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. Now, the book of Hebrews, uh, I like to call it God's switchboard. It's where everything in the scripture is connected. And what we have here in Hebrews 3 and 4 is God is presenting a picture uh, a, a truth through the picture or the illustration of the lives of the children of Israel. He said, I wanted them to enter into my rest, but they would not because they refused to believe. And we come to chapter 4 and he's summing this up and he's saying, listen, we, talking present tense in the day of the writer of the book of Hebrews, we which have believed do enter into rest. As I have sworn in my wrath, quoting from Psalms, if they shall enter into my rest, then comes a phrase that is very difficult for many people to comprehend, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. Now, of course, the primary and the simplest understanding about those works was the work of creation was finished. 
was finished in six days. The next verse talks about the seventh day. God created everything that is in six physical days. The evening and the morning were the first day, second day, third day, fourth day, fifth day, sixth day. And God rested on the seventh day. Why? Because the work of creation was finished. If the work of salvation is finished in your life, then you should be resting in the finished work of Jesus Christ, not trying to live a life to earn something that Jesus Christ has already paid for. Amen? But there's a big if there. If they shall enter into my rest. You see, most people who live on earth miss God's rest. Why do you think the Mohammedan prays five times a day? Because he's trying to earn his salvation. Why do people make pilgrimages all over the world to a shrine that is dedicated unto some saint or holy person? Because they believe that in making that trip, somehow they will be better and closer to God. I met a fellow one time many years ago that had traveled to Metagorgy to see the apparition of the Virgin Mary. And he had a little rosary there that he wore all the time. He said, look what happened to my rosary. It was part silver and part gold. He said, it changed to gold as I climbed the mountain. And he said, I faced... Uh, what do they call that uh, when your lungs fill with uh, uh, your chest cavity fills with uh, fluid and it puts pressure on your lungs and you know what I'm talking about there and he said I've suffered from that all my life and he said I haven't had a problem since I climbed that mountain and I'm not going to argue with the man's story but let me tell you something. I'm not going to rest my eternal soul on a physical experience that I have experienced. Because my experiencer needs a lot of tuning. How about yours? How many of you have seen the guy do the magic tricks? I mean, he pulled that rabbit out of the hat. the hat. The rabbit wasn't in there. I mean, he tapped on the hat, and all of a sudden the rabbit came out. He did not molecularly materialize a rabbit out of nothing. I know that. It was just a trick. But I'll tell you, my sensory perception says he's better at tricking my eyes than my eyes are at seeing his trick. Right? But if I'm going to put my rest somewhere, I'm going to put it in the words of God and in the finished work of Christ rather than in my sensory perception of what's going on around me. Because many people rest themselves in many things that never do bring rest. And that's what the passage is talking about here. Look at verse 4. For he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wide, and God did rest from all his works. Now skip down to verse 9. 
There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. Verse 10, for he that is entered into his rest, he hath also ceased from his own works as God did from his. There's a choice that you have to make. Which finish is going to be yours? Is it going to be Jesus on the cross, it is finished? Or is it going to be sin when it has finished? I promise you, you're going to be in one of those two camps. You can't be in between. Either you're going to allow Jesus Christ to finish the work for you of paying for sin, of being the sacrifice, and of working a holy life in you. Holy living is for everyone that names the name of Christ. Or are you going to be on the other side? Let me challenge you, if you're not sure where you are, there's only one way to get to the right place. And the Bible picks up right there in verse 11. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. The Bible tells us that there is only one way that we can get past our own self-deception. That is the word of God. There is only one way that we can work through all of the deception of the religious people that live today. That is the words of this book called the Bible. How many can remember the work of this book that it did in your heart and life as you came to Jesus Christ and accepted his statement, it is finished on the cross? How many lives could we bring up today in vivid example of those that gave themselves to sin and degradation and when it was finished, there was nothing but death. Somebody loaned me a book. I normally don't read books like that years ago on the life of Howard Hughes. No beggar in the street died as horrible and degraded in a death as Howard Hughes did. He was a billionaire a dozen times over, real close to it anyway. Somebody said, who got the money? The lawyers did. He had needles where he had injected himself with illegal drugs, broken off, floating around inside the tissue in his body. Even a beggar in the street gets medical attention for those things. Not Howard Hughes, the richest man in the world. You see, sin, when it is finished, 
bringing forth death. But Jesus, when he is finished, gives us rest from our works and true life and true peace and all the things that the world claims they are seeking. You see, I want to challenge you today with a thought. We live in a world where everything is put on a buffet and you get to pick and choose what you want. God is not in the buffet business, my friend. It is not your way. How many remember the old Burger King commercial? You still get sick, but it's just your way, not their way, right? Wrong. Listen, when Jesus said it is finished, it's an all or nothing proposition. You accept his sacrifice, you accept his salvation, you accept his sanctification. And by the way, he doesn't leave very much of that up for your personal perusal. It's written in this book how we ought to live. And no honest person is going to argue about what the Bible says. I mean, nine times out of ten, I've learned something with raising the children that God has given us. There's one answer that normally works. No. Stephen came up to me this morning, said, Dad? I said, no. And he looked at me. You don't know. I said, yeah, you were wanting to order an iPod, right? He said, yeah, no. All right. It works. How many times have you caught yourself? Well, as a Christian, should I allow this in my life? Could I have a slight suggestion? If you have to ask the question, no. Amen? Because Jesus paid the price for my sin, I can rest my salvation in him. That rest is going to cause me to live according to his way. And that life is going to bring sanctification or holiness. Now, it may take a while, but God will always work holiness in the life of those who trust him. It will happen. The other choice is to allow yourself to be drawn away. Allow lust to conceive and bring forth sin and allow sin to do its work, which is death. If you're in confusion this morning, there's an answer. It's the words of this book. Let the Bible be your discernment. Let it cut deep. Let the Bible reach in and grab a hold of those things that we hold on to and surrender them to God one at a time. And he'll bring salvation and sanctification to your life. If you don't want it, there is another choice. But I don't recommend it.
because the end of that choice is death. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. And Lord, we praise your name. That when you hung on the cross, you said it is finished. That never again will you suffer for sins because the sacrifice has been paid. The price of salvation was paid so that we can receive it as a gift from a God who loves us. Lord, let us never forget that along with salvation comes sanctification, that we can live above the power of sin. Lord, we pray for those in this room that may be the servant of sin right now. The Lord, if they're for some reason not willing to trust you today, that they would be willing to put themselves under your word and let it do its work, that it may bring us to that point of trusting Jesus as our Savior. Lord, we ask for each one in this auditorium this morning that they would choose life, that they would choose rest, that they would choose to allow Jesus to finish the works that are necessary. We ask you to give us victory over ourselves that we may serve you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. The hymn of invitation 294.